Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello, my friends, and happy Monday. What a thrill it is to be talking to you on a Monday. This is very unusual. Um, welcome to Catch Up with Louise McSharry. This is a podcast that tries to keep you caught up on everything from news to entertainment to just cool cool things that people are doing, cool people who have cool things to say. Um, so this is obviously the first, the first of a, a thrice-weekly Oh my God, I love any opportunity to use the word thrice. This is the first thrice weekly podcast um, where we are taking the segments that normally came together in a Friday episode. If you're listening for the first time, this is this is your explanation. If you know the story, then I'm sorry for boring you. Um, but previously, we would have given you all of those things in one episode. And by we, I mean me and my brilliant contributors. Um, but now we are separating them out. So today you're going to get the news, news catch up. And in fairness, myself and Carla are saying we didn't like so much news happened over the weekend. There was loads to talk about and that's the beauty of this now is that we have the time to you know really get into all the stories then you will on Wednesday morning you'll wake up and you'll have an episode from me uh, a catch up on the world of entertainment so like for example the BAFTAs we'll be talking about on Wednesday and who knows what else and then on Friday you're going to get an interview that you can listen to at any time you want over the weekend someone who's doing something cool um so yeah I hope you enjoy it for now this Monday episode will be going out kind of around 10 o'clock ish on a Monday morning um obviously we're recording it first thing and then I need to edit it and get it up and stuff so you the, the there was no way for me to make it so that it would be there when you wake up unless I work on a Sunday which currently I just don't think is gonna happen blah 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 blah, blah, blah. trying to make this sustainable and consistent for you so hopefully the mid-morning episode will work for you and yeah, I just hope you like it in general. Um, I'm really excited to be talking to you a few times a week and very excited just to have the space to kind of get into things a little bit more, should we wish. Um, yeah, so that's the business end. 
don't forget as well, by the way, if three times a week isn't enough for you, oh my God. Or if you just are like, hey, Louise is actually doing quite a lot of work on this podcast. Um, I would like to support her. Then you could go to Patreon, uh, patreon.com forward slash catch up with Louise McSharry. And um, any few quid thrown my way um, means I can feed my children. So yeah, all, all those things gratefully received. Um, I hope you had a great weekend, my friends. I hope you did something fun. If you didn't, no worries. They can't all be fun. Um, I was very lucky. I had a great weekend. I went to visit a friend of mine in Amsterdam. She moved there um, about nine months ago. And I was just, you know, when you have a good friend that moves away, I mean, first of all, it's a loss, obviously. But second of all, you just want to see their life. So I was really dying to see her life that she'd set up and the new friends she'd made. And um, CMAT was playing on Thursday night with support from uh, Morgana previously of Saint Sister and now she's doing her own thing and she is so good that was my did I see her twice at other voices second or third time I'm um, going to see her and I've been lucky enough to listen to the music as well and she like she is just gonna blow everyone's minds she is so so good the music she's doing on her own is amazing and um, so it was really exciting to see her supporting CMAT she's supporting CMAT at all of her European shows so if you're listening in a European city and you have tickets to go and see her make sure you go early to see Morgana as well because she is just so good um, and CMAT was obviously brilliant like always always is um, and then I got to hang out in Amsterdam all weekend and and eat delicious food and go for nice drinks and meet cool people and yeah I, I really really loved it but you'll hear more a little bit more about that with me and Carl because obviously Carl lives in Amsterdam so we had to have a little a little catch up so there you go let's get going our first standalone news episode I'm, I'm like scared and excited I feel like I'm having a baby I hope you like it well, good morning, Carl Kinsella. Our first Monday morning conversation. How are you? Yeah, it feels a bit strange, doesn't it? Yeah. Monday morning. I a think bit more intense. It feels a bit more serious or something. <laughs> it does feel a bit more serious. Monday morning is serious business. Yeah, it does feel like it's business time, but it also feels exciting to me. Yeah, I think I, I feel like it'll uh, it'll galvanize us. You know, I feel mm. like the week is just beginning. Mm. We're just we're ready to just dive straight in to yeah. the news. We've got to get the people caught up. Um, how are you? How was your weekend? I was in your city, but I unfortunately did not see you. Yeah, it was a, it was a flying. I got a text from Emer McCauley, my yeah. my colleague on Thursday night with <laughs> the two of you in it, um, and also another friend. Uh, but uh, yeah, yes, many that, people you kept... had a great time. Many people approached me and said, I know Carl Kinsler. I was like, hey. <laughs> yeah, I Excellent. had a great time. Yeah, Amsterdam is so great. It is lovely. Yeah, I, I really like it. The, the weather was fairly miserable when you were here. So that's right. It's been pretty rainy this weekend. Yeah, but like, I, I suppose you know. It's rainy I, in Ireland, like, exactly. Yeah. It just felt like being at yeah. home, to be honest, weather-wise. But no, I was really impressed by Amsterdam as a city. I'd been there a couple of times, but I think it's always different when you're visiting someone who lives there. And I was visiting a friend of mine who lives there. And a lot of her friends have been there for years. So um, they really know the city well. Um, and I was like quizzing them on all kinds of piece of information that I find interesting like how much taxes do you taxes do you pay what do you get for those taxes like how does this work mm -hmm. how does that work what's the political system like um and I was really just impressed by the overall feeling of the city I love how you can look in everybody's windows that was something that I particularly enjoyed <laughs> do you spend I your time looking in people's windows I, I did actually notice yesterday that when I was walking home, I was like, I was paying closer attention than usual to my neighbors is like the fronts of mm. their houses. I was like, yeah, let's have a look at let's let's find out who these people really are. Um, but uh, it is a lovely city. Like it's it. I 
think it doesn't really like it doesn't stress you out as much as most major cities do mm. because I think the public transport is so like efficient and widespread and like because so many people are cycling, mm. it just feels like there's a lot of space. Mm. Um, which I think is is a good is a good feeling for a city to give off. Yeah. Now I will say I only spoke to two Dutch people um, outside of like being in a restaurant or whatever the entire weekend. Um, my all of my friends' friends are like Irish and English and stuff. That one one girl has a Dutch boyfriend who was absolutely lovely, and then I just had a very brief conversation with a Dutch woman um, in a toilet queue, and it was very amusing to me because she said, "Where are you from?" and I said, "Ireland," and uh, she said, "Where in Ireland?" and I said, "Dublin," and she went, mm. <laughs> "Like," <laughs> and I was like, "Oh," <laughs> I was That's like, first of all." Yeah, I love this directness. Uh, and I was like, okay, where is that? What's that about? Where is that coming from? And she was like, I just, she said, I've been there twice. Nobody lives in the city. There's no people in the city. It really doesn't have the energy that we have here. Because in Amsterdam, you can be like in the busiest place and then there will be people living right there, families living right there. Like everybody, all the housing and city is all integrated. Um, and she was really unimpressed by that. And I have to say it was something that I had already been thinking about. So I, en I enjoyed her pointing that out to me. Yeah, for sure. Although I do think it is, it's just the most Dutch thing in the world to be like, oh, what city are you from? And then you tell them what city you're from and they're like, oh, my city's better. <laughs> you know, <you're> just like, <laughs> Well, I have to say, I kind of agree after this weekend. Um, anyway, I'm actually planning to write my opinion column for the end of this week about that uh, kind of oh, cool. interaction and and how I felt about what I what I saw in Amsterdam. So uh, I have to say, uh, spoiler, I kind of agree with her um, at the moment. And I love Dublin, but it is bringing me down a bit at the moment. Mm -hmm. Anyway, we have got actually lots of news to discuss. We didn't really know how it was going to go, given the fact that we only just talked about the news on Thursday. And obviously, it's normally a week between our, our conversations. But there's actually so much to discuss. A lot of stuff happened over the weekend. We've got some juicy stuff to get into. So we might as well get going. We will start appropriately I think in Gaza where things continue but there there have been some interesting incidents over the last few days yeah well currently sort of the state of play as we know that uh the IDF are kind of they're pushing in Rafah which is a city in in the very south of of uh Gaza and the US and and various other major Israeli allies including you know Canada UK uh, Australia, New Zealand, they are essentially, in public at least, they are pleading with Israel not to embark on a sort of a, a ground incursion into Rafah. They just, they don't want to see the bloodshed. This is kind of, you know, it feels a bit sort of too little too late in terms of these countries have provided unbelievable material support mm. for the IDF over the last uh, four months. And not just material support, but sort of like PR support in terms of just insisting that Israel has a right to defend itself, et cetera, et cetera. And that Hamas needs to be wiped off the face of the earth, which I mean, regardless of anyone's feelings on Hamas, this operation since October 7th, it has failed to root out Hamas. Uh, you know, the IDF are still sort of, you know, from the outside looking in, it looks like just sort of blindly bombing uh gaza with the uh you know the eventual goal of seemingly reducing it to so much rubble that, that hamas can't even function mm. um but that's kind of what's happening with Rafa. but what what netanyahu has said this week is that if you know and this you know it doesn't really pass muster but the the idf line is that if if hamas was to uh, release all the hostages that were captured on October 7th, then this would all end and they'll be able to sort of quote unquote en enjoy Ramadan in peace, mm. uh, which is what 
of the IDF. That's kind of what the the Israeli government is pushing right now. But it feels almost sort of mocking. You know, I, I feel like it, it doesn't feel like a very sincere because, um, I mean, we're at this total impasse. Hamas are not going to release the hostages because Israel won't won't make any concessions on their side yeah. um they won't release the, the many prisoners they have and they they talk about you know consistently talk about how the idea of a, a ceasefire is is fantastical and you know kind of crazy and the kind of thing that you would only come up with if you didn't understand the situation so they're very very down on the idea of a ceasefire mm-hmm. um and it, it doesn't feel like that that's something we're going to get right now so right now it is still a case of you know fighting on the kind of outskirts of, of Rafa and other major like other big sites like the the Nasser hospital which is one of the the, the last remaining functioning hospitals in Gaza mm. so that's that's where we are still um there was a really powerful piece over the weekend from an American doctor who had gone and worked in a hospital I don't know if you saw that um in Gaza who was just basically saying that it's beyond any kind of human comprehension what's happening there like I mean I feel like even though we're being told we still aren't fully grasping the reality of what people are facing there and we probably never will um but every time i i hear from someone like that it it reminds you again the depths of this it, and and That's, obviously it's the stories about children that will get you like there were, some of the imagery that came out of rafa last week was i mean i i don't know how any of us will ever be the same and yet here we are kind of carrying on with our normal lives yeah, and you have these huge organizations like uh, Medicine Sans Frontier talking about how like medical staff have had to f- like they've had to flee Nasser Hospital this week and leave patients behind, mm. and that uh, the WHO they showed up to the scene and they weren't allowed access. Mm. So you do just have a you know a total deterioration or like falling apart of all these institutions that I think for a long time people trusted and people kind of thought that oh you know as a global order if we have all of these institutions keeping things in check we're not going to have these awful atrocities Mm. Um, but in this case it just it seems to have totally fallen flat and we're in a situation where you know Gaza remains I think it was it was roughly 100 people were killed yesterday in airstrikes Mm. Um, so you're still talking about a huge huge daily death toll huge carnage mm. um and i think that is just it's it's really it's very disturbing and it's it probably is about to get worse because we probably mm. are about to see a full ground invasion or incursion into rafa which is there's about 1.5 million people there yeah. um and what you were saying the other day that it's it's about the size of heathrow airport mm. so it, it's a real sitting duck situation yeah. and it, it just you know you you just kind of pray that there's some intervention on the part of the u.s or, mm. or, or somebody in mm. the next couple of days or weeks to yeah. to try and just subvert some of the kind of violence that we think is going to come yeah meanwhile protests continue around the world i know there was a really massive one in dublin over the city tens of thousands of people apparently protested it looked from what i saw on social media really powerful and then right around the country there were individual protests you know the irish people are still kind of stalwart in their position on this and i saw that even bernie sanders was challenged uh, during an appearance at trinity college last week yeah this was interesting because bernie obviously in the context of the u.s would be one of the um, more sort of, uh, I think what you call like a reasonable voice, someone mm-hmm. who wants uh, what he calls a humanitarian pause and has been calling that for since November. But he is still, you know, part of that US political hierarchy. And that that structure is just very pro-Israel. Um, and like we saw it from the kind of, at the very outset, he was very slow to sort of uh, 
to talk about protecting Palestine and protecting civilians. Uh, and by sort of, I guess, taking part in the US machine and by, you know, being so slow to sort of come around to what is fairly a standard Irish viewpoint, um, it means that, yeah, he is definitely open for criticism. And, and he was called out by a protester. You know, it was that, that classic chant of something like, Bernie Sanders, you can't hide. You've supported genocide or something like that. You're denying um, genocide, I think is what they said, yeah. Um, because it is yeah, and it's it's tricky because Bernie Sanders has taken a position on this like he's not pretending like it's okay he said you know just recently on TV he said I'll be damned if I'm going to continue to or if I'm going to give another nickel to the Netanyahu government in order to continue this war against the Palestinian people you know he has been calling for it to stop but basically people are not happy they say the language is too weak and you know you need to call this what it is which from their position is a genocide and you know that has legal backing now as well via the ICJ um so yeah i guess you know at this point unless you are very clear about being against what is being done you know in very explicit language it's still not good enough for lots of people and that's kind of understandable yeah that's people want more especially from someone like bernie sanders who has been at the forefront of so many progressive movements over mm -hmm. the last uh sort of eight or nine years whether it's sort of healthcare or whether it's a cost of living crisis, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. You know, Sanders is always someone who has, who has framed himself as as on the side of the people. And he also has more of an opportunity because he's not a member of the Democratic Party. He is an independent. So he doesn't necessarily need to follow the rules in the same way that another Democrat might. So he has scope to speak his mind and mm -hmm. he has always spoken his mind. And I think that's what's frustrating for people is because they see it and they think, oh, like deep down, he must truly believe um, to some extent, in the legitimacy of at least, you know, this, you know, fight back or this idea of Israel's right to defend itself. As you say, in the last couple of months, he has been pretty uh, forthright. Like, mm. you know, it, it is clear. He's made it clear that he does not support what Israel is doing. Mm. Um, you know, so I like I think, yeah, you can you can interrupt his. um his uh, speaking event and, and that's fine. But like, yeah, he's not he's not at the absolute top rung of people who could sort of stand up and, and call a halt to this. And I yeah. think he's doing a certain amount. But yeah, like, I think it's, it's just the difference between the political context in America and Ireland. Like, yeah. because in Ireland, it's so commonplace to be mm. supportive of Palestine mm. and to you know, want the Palestinian people to have their own state and for them to be safe and for them to be healthy that I think it's it's very confounding for Americans and, and even the little bit that they do in support of Palestine when they come here it's kind of blown out of the water because as you see as you saw you know there's tens of thousands of people marched in Ireland this weekend mm. so like it's you know and like obviously Ireland Leo Varadkar wrote that letter with the Prime Minister of Spain so mm. this is a country where there is just broad support for Palestinian independence and freedom them mm. and uh yeah i think it's it's very hard for an american to sort of keep up with that mm. so i think ultimately yeah probably no surprise that i think it was quite a small protest like i don't think it wasn't as if wasn't as if hundreds of people stood outside no. uh the room while bernie sanders was talking and, and tried to call him off i didn't really love his response to the to the protester he said something like oh i don't like being disrupted because if you're disrupted then you never actually get to have a meeting mm. and i was like well like you you know you're bernie sanders like you presumably know what protesting is all about yeah, you know yeah. you're familiar with the idea of protesting yeah um yeah i didn't think that was great either but i i think what he said then was kind of 
you know, he said, I've talked about my views on Gaza and I'm doing everything I can to end a horrific and terrible war. My dream would be that the president finally wakes up to what I think the American people want and say, you know what, Mr. Netanyahu, you're not going to get another nickel until you stop that damn war and treat the Palestinian people with the respect and dignity they deserve. He said, I have nightmares about what is going on. It is a horror. Believe it or not, I'm trying to do my best to end that war. And I do believe him, actually. Yeah, it's like, I think he's like, he's late to the party. And yeah. like, I don't know. I think everybody, I think, always, you know, believes that they're doing kind of all they can. And he probably is doing a lot of what he can. Mm. Um, I think obviously people just want that final step of yeah. like, as you said, coming Call out and calling it, it a genocide. Yeah. You know, like just sort of go full, 100% yeah. full throat on it, you know. Yeah. Okay, now over the weekend, Alexei Navalny, uh, who is the opposition leader in Russia, or was the opposition leader in Russia, was killed. Um, and this was absolutely enormous news internationally and for Russian people, many of whom I know were extremely upset by this, particularly the people who live kind of internationally. Um, people might have seen, there was a, a really brilliant documentary made about him, and you might have seen that because it was nominated for an Oscar. But for people who are not familiar with him, who was this guy? Yeah, so Alexei Navalny, he's been he's been on the scene for I think about uh, since 2011, um, or at least kind of it has had international recognition since then. Mm. As you say, he was the leader of um, of Russia's kind of opposition party, um, which is obviously in Russia, which is really just a one state country where you know Vladimir Putin has been in charge for over 20 years now. Mm. To be in charge of the Russian opposition is kind of like you know it's. All you're really doing is putting yourself under threat because you're certainly never going to be not under the the situation as it exists now. You're not yeah. going to get into power, so it really is just putting a target on your back, which is exactly what happened with Navalny. Um, he ran for mayor of Moscow years ago, so like he did a lot of things that, and as you say, there was that really popular documentary. Um, so he just he did a lot of things, had a lot of kind of goodwill on his side that I think you know Putin just uh, he couldn't handle. So I think had Navalny been weaker he probably would have been maybe left alone. Mm. But it's just because he was so successful at drumming up support. Um, and, you know, he had been, he survived uh, attempts on his life before in 2020. Mm. Had, you know, that, that famous Novichok nerve agent that was used in Salisbury uh, in around 2017. He was a victim of, of that kind of attack. So it's like um, a, it's a poison, basically. A poison, it's yeah. a nerve, nerve gas. Yeah, a horrible type of poison. Um, and yeah, so he is... Uh, he had been in prison. He had even in 2023, he was sentenced to a further 19 years in prison. And like, you know, these are all just for like, uh, you know, kind of trumped up political charges that, you know, really don't seem to have any bearing in reality. So this guy was just sort of enemy number one for mm -hmm. Vladimir Putin for a very long time. Um, the official account of his death is that he has died of uh, just sudden death syndrome, mm -hmm. which you know, I think anyone who has been paying attention to the behavior of the Kremlin over the last, I mean, forever, mm -hmm. uh, will probably be skeptical about that. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, just months ago, we had a situation where the leader of the Wagner Group, Yevgeny Prigozhin, mm -hmm. he tried to stage a coup. He tried to march on Moscow. Mm -hmm. You know, was, uh, you know, that, that sort of diffused and he was put on a plane to Belarus. And within a couple of months, he had died in a plane crash. Mm -hmm. Um so, you know, you do get a lot of these suspicious deaths mm. with high profile uh, sort of enemies of Vladimir Putin and, and Navalny mm. uh, now sadly seems to be added to that list. And yeah, there's been a huge sort of um, 
outcry, a lot of outpouring of sort of sadness for Navalny. And like, by the way, you know, we don't need to get into the weeds of this too much, but like Navalny is by no means from the international perspective, a perfect person. You no. know, like if someone from Ireland was to go through the list of sort of ideological standpoints that Navalny has, they'd probably find themselves disagreeing with a lot of it, yeah. particularly when it comes to like Russian nationalism and like his uh, attitude towards kind of other minorities within Russia, of mm. which there are loads. Um, so, you know, it's it's not necessarily 100% simple, but I suppose what is simple is that, you know, the death of an opposition leader in such an autocratic, dangerous country is just, um, you know, it's it's the kind of thing that you shake your head at. And it, it I, it's something that I, I noticed a lot of people when it first happened, um, just it was a very grim feeling because it does just it sort of it really cements that idea that Putin is just he's you can't dislodge him, you know, and you can't even can't even sort of make an impact, can't put a scratch on him. Mm. Um, and I think that's how a lot of people felt uh, in the aftermath. I know like Russians came out to pay their respects. There was more than 400 people detained, um, which I mean, if 400 people were detained, then you must have had thousands of people coming out in support yeah. of him. after He died. But I mean, and, like, for me, it was just where he died it's described as a remote arctic prison colony like you know it yep. sounds grim and in you know the 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 kremlin are saying that they are not responsible for it but internationally you know political leaders are saying that they are responsible for his death one way or the other um and yeah hundreds of people in cities all across russia have kind of been protests or have been marking his death with you know, laying flowers, that kind of thing. But mad to think that people would be arrested within that. 400 people arrested within that is mad. And the charges are things like organizing a rally. And, you know, it's just, you know, <sighs> Russian people are not free. No, absolutely not. And, and and it just goes to show, like, when you have these, you know, what I think you can estimate are thousands of people coming out under the duress of possibly being arrested in a country where we've just seen, you know, an opposition political leader suffer the kind of pay the ultimate price for standing up to Putin. Um, I think it's a real testament to how many people there probably are in Russia mm. who would like change. Yeah. But like, as we can see, you know, if you have someone like Navalny, like this person with international sort of claim and backing and people really like him, he's likability and stuff. Mm. And even he really can't, as we say, we can't can't even put a scratch on Putin. It is it's it is very disturbing, and I yeah. think it's going to have a hugely chilling effect in Russia, yeah. and probably a chilling effect internationally because Absolutely. it is it's just you know, when you when you sort of lose someone who's a sort of a figurehead and representative of the idea of an opposition in Russia. Mm. You know, we've we've lost that kind of person now. So I think that that is uh, it's very disturbing for people. Yeah, absolutely. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Okay, let's move to RTE again. It's funny, last week we were like, will we even talk about this? Because it's kind of boring and everybody's sick of it. But then the drama just continues. Like, it seems unending. They really deliver. Like, honestly, if their instincts for drama in their, like, fiction department was as strong as their instinct for drama, like, just in their normal lives, they would do so much better. Like, if they could have a succession-style TV show based on the last couple of years at RTE... I mean, they they could. It's true. They easily could. And you know what I think is actually going to happen is they're going to get gazumped and Virgin Media will come in. Mm. And Virgin Media will make a really good show about RT. <laughs> and it'll just be, you know, it'll, it'll just be like an, an unending spiral. for And like right now, it does feel like an unending spiral. You know, um, when you hear about these sort of the golden handshake payments and, and more, it does just make you want to tear your hair out. Yeah. Um, and that is that is where the focus is now. Like, you know, it, we've we've kind of moved on slightly from the toy show the musical to these numerous golden handshake payments which is basically when you give someone money to kind of go away essentially isn't it pretty much or well in the case of Brita O'Keefe it was interesting because it was just voluntary like typically when you're talking about a golden handshake yeah like it's because you want to get rid of someone Mm. and like it's sort of like a an almost a kind of an unofficial severance or a bonus just to to get you out the door mm. but like with Brita O'Keefe there was no real suggestion that she was the, the CFO yeah. who is kind of the center of the biggest payment she got 450,000 there was no suggestion that they were kind of kicking her out she was just she was just she leaving. Was done, yeah. And, yeah and there was simply no you know no good reason and like in that case you are just talking about a bonus in the same way that a banker you know like back in the day would get a huge bonus you're mm. just talking about Sort of the kind of bonus where the the justification for it is that oh it, it incentivizes the best people to go for the job you know mm. so it's not really about a, a severance and it's more about an incentive and but it's it's just so silly because i mean first of all with rte at the top level a i, I don't know there doesn't seem to be any evidence to me that we are getting the best people for the job in any of these positions <laughs> um and then like b it is just so much money and it's so much you know kind of public there's at least public contribution to the money yeah um so and like it's funny this week you know Michal Martin called for like he called for full transparency of salaries and packages at RTE like I really thought that was ground we covered last summer like I thought they had agreed to that maybe they haven't agreed I thought they had agreed to that already you know like there's there's back and forth because I think the problem 
one of the main things to remember is that there are many hundreds of people who work in RTE and most of them are not well paid and are just normal people doing normal jobs and so I think that does make it tricky when we have these conversations about full transparency of salaries and packages because like you know most people don't really want their salary you know they don't really want this conversation to be in the news and I think there is sometimes there is a tendency to allow that to color the kind of transparency of salaries at the top level like I personally feel like there should be no question that like salaries at management level at this point should be completely out in the open and clear like you know I know they've gone back and forth on it but it seems like things are just too bleak I mean like I know they've been called in for a meeting this morning um, because of all what's gone on over the last week, because it wasn't just it. Obviously, initially we talked we talked about Breed O'Keefe already, but then there was a Simon Coveney one as well that came out over the weekend. Or Rory Coveney, excuse me, Jeez. Rory Coveney. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, not Simon Coveney. There are two different people, albeit related. Um, yeah, Rory Coveney, who was director of strategy, also got a big payment. Um, I did not receive a single payment upon leaving Orti. I would just like to say, and I could really have done with it, um, but it doesn't apply to people like me or anyone normal who works there. You would have deserved it too, and it's and it's so. I think the the Rory Coveney one is so grieving because it's kind of he is almost if you read the sort of the the transcripts from the various hearings we've had, he's the man who's kind of almost single handedly, not single handed, but almost single handedly pushed for the the toy show the musical like mm-hmm. it was it really was his baby it was his project so the fact that sort of he was you know and again like he he was involved last summer like he he was in the hearings last summer so he you know again there was no real need for him to have such an enormous payout and he got one year's whole salary so like again you're talking about huge money for someone who has i mean like the toy show musical which was his idea lost rte another 2.2 million so we're just talking about like an enormous financial footprint on all these people you know when all is said and done you're looking at these people who come in with ideas the ideas lose money and then the people leave and then you have to pay the people you have to pay the people even more money so it's just sort of as we say like it's it's a spiral um mm-hmm. And, you know, last week we were talking about, like, yeah, Kevin Backhurst has his work cut out for him. And, and it does seem, and, like, we talked about this as well. Like, as you say, him and Shuni Rahley, the the chair of the board, are being called into Catherine Martin's office today. And, like, kind of, I assume what they'll discuss is probably Orti being brought under the, the remit of the um, Comptroller and Auditor General, which is, mm-hmm. like, a, a government-appointed position. And they kind of, they audit all the state's spending. So, I you know, or he could kind of fall under that and maybe that'll be the consequence of the meeting mm. but i mean it's just a i i don't know it's it's i i don't see how it's so bad for like the license fee it's so bad for public trust i think just think people have so little time for all these shenanigans mm. people just want to have good quality public broadcasting um they don't want to have to deal with all these egos and personalities and salaries and packages so i don't know maybe it'll end up being like a good kind of clearing up house but like you know i think that that remains to be seen yeah and it's certainly rolling on and on um a pretty bleak thing happened last week during the celebrations over the super bowl in america there was a shooting at a celebratory parade for the kansas city chiefs and I have to say, like, I was just, I was surprised by how little I felt when I heard about this. And then that made me feel really bleak and sad. 
Yeah, I think it's definitely reached a stage now because I could even, yeah, if you could trace sort of the evolution, I think, of how people outside of America react to shootings. And, you know, even a couple of years ago, you would have had major shootings that elicit total horror and almost yeah. like a shutdown of like shutdown of the news for the whole day, like yeah. and the entire news focused around this thing. Whereas now I do definitely think we're in a position where so I was reading it, it's been it's something like 49 uh like mass shootings in the US in 45 days in 2024. So it is just pretty much constant. Like you're looking at it, you know, at least once a day. And I think when you see it on an event like this, where there's already some attention on it, I think people are starting to almost expect it. Like we had a very similar shooting. I think it was after the, it was after an NBA celebration last year mm. um, with the Denver Nuggets, there was a shooting mm. and there was a major shooting, I think on the 4th of July in 2022 mm -hmm. in, in Illinois um so like you're looking at like these major events now like these things that everybody goes to like say if you think of an irish equivalent like imagine if you couldn't go to a paddy's day parade or new year's eve uh you know the celebrations on the keys in dublin if you couldn't turn up to that without kind of almost a presumption yeah. that someone is going to start firing a gun at some point it just it doesn't feel like a real society it doesn't it just doesn't it's so surreal and so you know it just doesn't really compute, you now, know? I, and I think that that's what's man, I think, you know? Yeah, I saw a guy who was interviewed kind of around it. And um, he he kind of, this is not literally what he said, but the vibe was, sure, there's always one. And like, no. Yeah. <laughs> like, that should not yeah, be exactly. the way with fatal shootings or like even, you know, shootings where people are seriously injured. Now, in this situation, one person died, 22 other people were injured and two teenagers have been charged, both under 18. Like, how are teenagers and getting the gun? Like, we've discussed this. How are they getting the guns? Yeah, and supposedly the the intel that the police have is that this it all stemmed from like a personal dispute. Like, yeah. it wasn't a case of two people showing up to commit a mass shooting. It was the two people got into an argument and as a result, you know, dozens of people got shot, uh, which is just like, how can you live in a, in a situation like that? And, you know, it's also very frustrating. You see like the quarterback from the Kansas City Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes, who's like the best NFL, best paid NFL player in like mm. history. He came out like right away with a tweet that was just like, you know, thoughts and prayers, you know, pray for Kansas. And it's just like, this is like this is the city that you live in that you play sport in you should have like a connection to these people and it just it really for me what i find so disturbing is just the mealy-mouthedness of like you could have someone like you know this is this is travis kelsey's team um this is the team that taylor swift has famously been turning up to watch week in week out and like not that like solving gun crime is travis kelsey's responsibility or patrick mahomes's mm. or Tw taylor swift's but they could do so much more they mm. could say so much more they could make it an actual campaign. Yeah, they and could. it seems like those days are gone. You know, like I feel like back in the day, you would have something like a shooting at, like at Parkland in Florida and all those kids um, kind of became uh, sort of influencers and, and, and social media stars because mm. they were pushing so hard. And it doesn't feel like you get those reactions anymore. It does feel like a shrug of the shoulders where it's like, I think it is sort of like the, the anti-gun or the gun control crowd has sort of accepted defeat. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. sort of how it feels to me. Yeah, um, it's awful. Just... It is awful. Um, the Social Democrats had their conference over the weekend and Holly Cairns gave her first uh, kind of, I don't know, what did she call it? Spe speech? I mean, it wasn't her first speech, but like as, in terms of being leader of the Social Democrats at the Social Democrats National Conference. Um, yeah. And it went, seems to have gone down very well. 
Yeah, I I get the sense that like most of what Holly Kearns has done and said since becoming Sockdown leader has uh has gone down well. Yeah. Like it feels like they have like a like I I think you know some people might attribute that to the youth. I think I would attribute it to obviously I people remember before Holly Kearns Sockdowns had two leaders. So they mm. had Roisin Shorthall and uh, Catherine Murphy working together as co-leaders. Mm. And I just think that doesn't work. I think people just want to see one leader. I think it just it makes so much more sense to mm. just have one person mm. um sort of delivering these speeches. And yeah, I think you know Holly Kearns I think it, it has helped um, her kind of unifying it in that way. But mm. yeah, I think probably what people mostly took away from the speech is she promised that if she got into government or if Sock Jams got into government, it would be 50,000 homes per year mm. um, would be built. Mm. That would be pretty staggering. Mm. Um, is 10,000 affordable homes and 12,000 uh, social homes per year. Mm. Like that's the kind of thing that I think it's quite clever because if you look at the popularity Sinn Féin have had over the last couple of years, I think it's almost all down to housing. Mm. Um, and I think if Sock Dems could also capture some of that ground with a very ambitious housing plan, that would that would help them out. They also are also kind of the originators through Roisin Shorthall of Sláinte Care. Mm. And Holly Cairn said a red line for her going into government would be like the acceleration of Sláinte Care. Mm. Now, in order to get Sláinte Care working, which is universal health care for all Irish people, you need some serious acceleration. Like it's so far behind schedule. Mm. Um, but it's a good red line to have. Um, in a different interview, Cairn uh, said that she wouldn't rule out going into government with any party which is the kind of thing that like that'll really upset some say Sinn Féin and people before profit people because it suggests you know she'd go into a government with Fine Gael and it'll also upset Fine Gael people because suggests she might go into government with Sinn Féin but ultimately like with the party as small as lockdowns they have six seats who yeah. knows how many seats they'll have next, after the next election you know I think it's sort of uh yeah, it's 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 harder to argue kind of being a protest party when you're so small yeah um you know, I think it's it's unlikely that Sock Dems are going to be like calling the shots in any meaningful way, whether they're well, no, in opposition. There's just, or... Exactly. There's just not enough of them. They're a new party. They'd need to get a lot of people kind of running for election. That would require a lot of money and a lot of organization. Like these things just don't tend to happen quickly. That's why Sinn Féin were in the position they were in in the last election where, you know, they potentially could have won more seats, but they just didn't have enough candidates. Um, so, you know, it's I, I would imagine that they will do well, but it's going to be slow. Um but it just seems so wild to me that like it's kind of remarkable that we have this political party and a leader of a political party who are just kind of see you know sound just like hey let's not be racist let's try and build more houses so that people can actually have homes let's try and make it so that people aren't desperate to leave the country let's try and do everything we can <laughs> to fight this genocide like those are not extreme or radical views from the conversations that I have with people I mean obviously I'm kind of you know I would be left-leaning progressive but like you know it's but that it's remarkable I think is remarkable yeah, I think their outward niceness is honestly very impressive. Like they really, <laughs> yeah. it, it doesn't tend to up like ever. Like they're always just pretty nice. Yeah. Um, and even like online, if you ever have to deal with like a sock dems, you know, say sometimes you get like a Sinn Fein person in your DM or not in your DMs, but in your replies, or like definitely lots of Fine Gael people in your replies or Fina mm. Fall giving out to you for this or that. Yeah. You don't really get that with sock dems people. Like no. they're usually just pretty friendly. Nice. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Almost makes me like suspicious of them. You know, it's like what are they, what are they doing over there with their purple, their purple t-shirts? Um, I love it. Also, I really, I really like that you can say their name like perfectly to the tune of Roxanne by the Police. Like, you can be like, "Suck Dems. ten and ten. <laughs> Carl, you should sell that idea to them. That's that's a that's a 
a top tier idea. Um, before I let you go, I just wanted to, this was the story we were going to do last week, but we didn't have time to get to in the end, um, which is the story of romance scams. And unfortunately, lots of people being taken in by them. Now, this is romance scams. I feel like is something that people will be kind of vaguely familiar via TV programs like 90 Day Fiance and, and the like. Um, but, you know, for those who don't know, what's the story here? Yeah, so a romance scam is kind of, I mean, it sort of is what it sounds like, which is where, you know, people are contacted or communicated with almost always digitally. And it's, you know, whether it's on Facebook or whether it's through a dating app, someone will have basically set up a, a catfish account, which is a fake account using fake pictures. You know, it could be anyone anywhere in the world uh, just using the pictures of of someone, you know, to sort of... Uh, to lure them in and usually the way it goes is they build trust they have a conversation you know you might match with them on tinder and they'll you know they'll sweet talk you and they'll be mm. nice to you and they'll you know it, it, I, I make think, you feel yeah, special probably, <laughs> yeah they're they're mostly targeting i think you know ultimately probably people who are who are lonely mm. um, and maybe people who, who kind of want to feel special that kind of thing yeah. and then it builds up over time and they start asking for money and they need they need money for this or that or you send me this money and i'll come visit you yeah, or money for plane that, tickets yeah Exactly. my mother and is sick precisely and it's it's actually crazy how successful some of these scams are um you know they Gardy said the 245 victims have come forward since 2020 so mm. that's quite a lot you know and that like in what is it in it's seven million euro has been stolen through these scams over the last five years like you know it's the kind of thing that if it if it doesn't really touch your life you know if you're happily married or happily in a relationship you probably never think about these things no but like there are people who who do end up getting victimized by these things and it is it is really sad it's and so it, sad and it's the kind of it's really sad and it's the kind of thing that like it's it's very very preventable yeah um and i think people just need to you know if there's any you know anybody who's sort of in danger anybody who's who's in a who's been chatting with someone online who they have absolutely no sort of evidence that they're real like you want and the guardy to be fair gave a lot of advice yeah. um like they they said that you know to to do a google reverse image search yeah. on any like picture of, the, of a person that you match with that kind mm. of thing mm. for me like an easy thing is like if you go on someone's dating app or on their facebook and they don't have photos of them with anyone else or like there's mm. no comments on their photos from like family and friends that's a big red flag yeah um i think you just want to you keep your eyes open and make sure that people are like that yeah. they exist in society you know you yeah. want to be able to find them on linkedin you want to be able to mm. see what they do but also look out for it. your like look out for your family members like you know people who might be vulnerable in this kind of situation like i read that the highest reported loss by a woman in ireland was over four hundred fifty thousand euros stolen in 18 transactions and then a, the a male victim had three hundred eighty thousand euro taken like it's really you know it's life yeah, ruining stuff um, yep. and yeah, we just all need to, unfortunately, loneliness is an absolute blight on people in this country. And so we all need to be looking out for each other and looking out for our family members. Well, Carl, that's it. We've done it now. We've done our first standalone news chat episode. Um, thank you so much for talking to me first thing on a Monday morning. Uh, I hope my friends who are listening that you have enjoyed this. Um, I have enjoyed it. Have you enjoyed it? Oh, I've had a great time, yeah. What, yeah we've had a ball. I mean, what's not great, to like? Great, yeah, great way to start the week. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Very, uh, thank you. I can't even speak now. That's me. That's when I do more than half an hour talking. I apparently lose the ability to talk. Um, thank you very much, and we will talk to you next week. Obviously, you can catch Carl uh, on thejournal.ie. You can read his writing there. Um, if you didn't read his Surrealing in the Years column over the weekend, I highly recommend it. And then where else can the people find you, Carl? 
uh, people can get me on Twitter at TV's Carl Kinsella and on Instagram at Carl.Kinsella. Lovely. Thank you so much. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.